0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash SlashFilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SlashFilm Daily for Friday, August 9th, 2019. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by SlashFilm weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, it's Friday. Uh, The the news out there, it's pretty rough today. So we actually only have three things to talk about. Uh, So let's just dive into the first one. This is going to be a shorter episode than normal. But, um, H.T., you recently, earlier this week, had a chance to see some footage from Ang Lee's new movie, Gemini Man. Tell us what you saw and, and what you thought about it.
1: Yes, I got to see three sequ- extended sequences from Gemini Man specifically. Uh, they took us to a Dolby theater where they showed us only uh, 60 frames per second 3D. This is filmed in 120 frames per second, but even the screening room that I was in didn't have the capacity to show that. So it'll be interesting to see how the rollout for that film will be once it hits uh, theaters. But um, even in sixties frames per second, it was really stunning and visually um, incredibly vibrant. Uh, so the first sequence we saw was an action sequence set in Cartagena, Colombia, where uh, Henry Will Smith's older character notices that notices notices that an assassin has descended upon the rooftop of the house in which they are taking shelter. He awakes um, Danny which is uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston's character and Baron Benedict Juan's character to tell him that the sniper is on the roof and that he will distract them so that they can escape. Uh, He ends up getting in a firefight with a sniper uh, in the streets and he sees through his own, um, target uh, sites that the killer is actually a younger version of himself and he then refuses to shoot this killer although the killer does not have the same reservations and they engage in a firefight and um, there are a lot of explosions and grenades going around but uh, in the the streets of Cartagena where this takes place uh, the colors really pop in the 60 frames per second high frame rate. Um, It's all incredibly bright and vibrant and really vivid and at first it gets a little it takes a while to get used to the lack of motion blur and uh, the way that the camera moves so that it's really hyper realistic but it suits the action sequences in this uh, film pretty well Um, and it shows too in the second sequence we saw which is a scene in which uh, Junior the younger version of Will Smith has taken Danny hostage and is taking her into an underground catacomb to lie in wait. For Henry. And um, we see them in this catacomb, which is lined with human skulls. And um, after a while, a tripwire goes off, and Henry and Junior get into a, a fist fight. And the fist fight is just very hard hitting. There's um, apparently the uh, animators for this scene actually um, made it so that the uh, fight. The punches look like the connected because we as we learned in after this, um, this clip showed uh, Henry no, Junior, the younger version of Will Smith is a completely CG digital character. He's not a double that has a um, de-aged Will Smith on it, but they really emphasize the fact that this is a completely digital creation in the vein of a character from The Lion King. So when they were doing this sequence, um, which Will Smith acted out both versions of the junior version in a motion capture suit. Uh, They were able to sort of play with reality a bit and make it so those hits look harder and they did feel harder while we were watching that sequence.
0: So uh, really quickly to to jump in here and interrupt, the height difference, is there a height difference between these two versions? Is there like a noticeable, I I assume the body types are different because younger Will Smith obviously looked much different than the older version, but is Mm -hmm. there... I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, uh, Will Smith, you just said, performed both roles, right? But, Mm -hmm. like, if these animators are going in and sort of altering the junior version of the character, are they... What kind of alterations are they making? Was that that clear to you based on the the Q&A and stuff afterwards?
1: It was his body type. I wouldn't say it was height, but definitely he's much slimmer. Mm-hmm. um in both like physique and in sh- face shape so that i definitely noticed um and it was really interesting too to see this younger version of will smith in a role that uh, requires a bit more emotional heavy-, heavy lifting as well because um henry tries to convince junior that he is trying to save him from the uh dastardly corporation that is using him for their own gain mm-hmm. and so it's it's fascinating because we see more of this in the third sequence which i'm going to go into a detail now um and that's a sequence that is an emotional confrontation between junior and Varys, who's played by clive owen and Varys is the head of gemini the company that cloned um, henry and, and created the, the young clone junior and uh, he basically raised junior as a father and um, at this point, Junior has is believing that he is a clone and he's finally realizing that and confronts uh, Varys with this information, ask why he does it. And it's very fascinating to see a young Will Smith go into the emotional depths that this um, scene requires, because I, it occurred to me after I'd watched this scene that when Will Smith was this age, uh, that is 23, he wasn't really doing any big, emotional, dramatic roles at the time. He was mostly known at the time for his rap career and for Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And even that in his early film career choices, there are more sort of action-packed roles with the hint of comedy as well. There wasn't anything that required you know him to cry on the spot. So it was really fascinating to see um, young Will Smith doing this uh, more dramatic um, turn. It was almost like seeing a lost Will Smith performance that had Hmm. come to life in a way. So that was really fascinating to see. I think it also was the fact that he had no facial hair, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I've also been used to seeing with young Will Smith. And I think even in Fresh Prince, he had a little bit of a a facial hair too. (laughs) So So that was really fascinating.
0: I guess like um, from everything that you've said, my sense is that you were sort of like uh, intrigued by this footage, but like did it um did it connect with you in any way beyond like the uh how the technology was used and all of that because like that was a big thing you know you mentioned lion king that was a big thing with lion king like people had a really hard time connecting with that movie because uh you know that the technology sort of kept them at arm's length in a way so do you think the same thing might be true about gemini man or do you think it's going to be easier for people to sort of get sucked into this
1: That's a good question. I only did see these three clips and I couldn't really get a bigger impression of what this film will be like, but... Um, I was impressed by the action sequences and how this higher frame rates and the like lent to the the vibrancy of those sequences. Um, the digital recreation of young Will Smith was pretty seamless. Although I noticed in some of the more straightforward dialogue scenes that there was so, almost a kind of distance between him and other characters. It felt like they were either like had a physical distance or there's almost some sort of maybe this was me just kind of reading into it but Mm -hmm. it felt like there's some sort of lag whenever there is an exchange of dialogue Hmm. so it did feel kind of like that there was something that wasn't quite um as natural as having to actual people in a room mm-hmm. so perhaps that was something that might need to be tweaked a little bit um and i will say like the action even though i was impressed by it um the sequences do play a lot kind of like a, a mid-2000s action film mm. uh, meets a video game in a way because of that high death high frame rate that um perspective mm-hmm. so it's It's a little disconcerting at first. Um, I I was able to, like, get used to it, but it is kind of an unusual mix, Hmm. and um, I'm not sure what it'll be like for an entire film.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious, too, like, how that kind of thing will play in just, like, regular 24 frames a second, because I know that, you know, a lot of places are not going to be properly equipped to be able to play it in the, what is it, 120 that he shot it in, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. But uh, Gemini Man opens on October 11th, so we have got a little bit of time left before that film hits theaters. Uh, in the meantime, let's talk a bit about Harold and Kumar 4. Brad, you're the resident comedy guy on Slash Film staff. Uh, what do you think about the Harold and Kumar trilogy as it exists right now? And um, tell us the latest about a possible Harold and Kumar 4.
2: Um, I mostly like the Harold and Kumar movies. Uh, the first one is definitely. Um, a bro movie, very much suitable for uh, college students uh, and a lot of people who are my age. She definitely enjoyed that movie in college, and it inspired many a trip to White Castle during that time, not to mention reinvigorating Neil Patrick Harris's career. Uh, Harold and Kumar Escape from Guantanamo Bay, I don't remember much of, which I think kind of speaks to its quality and how good it was. I remember not being very... Uh, impressed by it and thinking that, okay, we probably should didn't need a sequel to that. Uh, but then A Very Harold and Kumar Christmas I actually found to be rather entertaining and even uh, rather sweet for an R-rated comedy. And I think that that's probably helped by the fact that it's uh, directed by Todd Strauss-Scholzen, who has since gone on to direct The Final Girls and uh, Isn't It Romantic, proving that he uh, does have a bit of a flair for charm and, and style. And he, uh, that franchise has never looked better uh, with him directing it. So uh, I would yeah, I would say like the first and third, not too much the second. And I'm not really sure that we need a fourth movie. The third one kind of served as a really nice uh, reconciliation for a, like a, a grown- up Harold and Kumar and dealing with adult life. So I'm not really sure if we need a fourth one, but apparently uh, Cal Penn, uh, who has been making the rounds uh, at the Television Critics Association. Uh, because he has a new show on NBC coming out called Sunnyside, said that uh, that he was just talking to um, the creators of Harold and Kumar, uh, Schlossberg and Hurwitz, and they have discussed the possibility of doing a fourth movie. That sounds like it's probably just a discussion at this point, uh, especially since they're busy working on Cobra Kai. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're the executive producers and creators of that sequel series to The Karate Kid. So if anything, it's probably just uh, an idea at this point, something that has been discussed, but nothing that is actually in any real development or has, you know, uh, a script or anything like that. So I personally wouldn't expect it to come together. Um, Harold and Kumar does have uh, its fans, but it's far from this huge franchise. So I think it would take quite a quite an original and intriguing idea for them to want to go back to uh, Harold and Kumar.
0: Ishii, have you seen any of the Haralyn Kumar movies?
1: I saw the first one. And um, yeah, it's a fun bro movie. I will say I really enjoyed seeing two Asian-American leads in the role. And I feel like that was very um, uh, radical at the time. Mm -hmm. Very revolutionary. Uh, And to see them two be stoners, which was great. Uh, But I don't really have an affection for them, despite John Cho starring in them. It's not really my kind of movie. But the first one's funny.
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm sort of like right there on the same page with you, Brad. I have seen the first three. I think the the first one's probably the best, and I was surprisingly touched by the third one as well. I mean, it's it, that was like a really goofy movie that came out around 2011, I think, and um, it was like a 3D Christmas movie and very over the top. I remember the sequence where white the song White Christmas was playing and like cocaine was falling from the sky like snow. Like it's very yeah. it's very crazy, but uh, it also is like yeah sort of touching like this it, it sort of uh wraps up the story of their friendship and is about like growing up and taking responsibility for your actions and stuff so um i wonder if it's going to be something like if they do come back for a fourth movie if people are if it's going to hurt its legacy because like when i think back to the american pie trilogy for example, or i guess maybe yeah, that's, it's even that's more a, than that exactly
2: but, what I, yeah that's exactly what i was going to say because it's the same creators. Um, yeah. And so yeah, when the American wedding felt like such a good cap on the franchise and then and then they were like, "Nope, American reunion." it's like. Yeah. Ooh. This, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye out on that. And then, uh, finally, our last item of the day is... Uh, we're talking a lot about Quentin Tarantino uh, because his new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is out, and he is still making the press rounds for that film. And uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the potential for Tarantino's final film. He's talked about retiring after making 10 movies. And, H.T., he sort of... Um, I guess gave us like a a surprise insight into another option for what his 10th movie might be in a recent interview, right?
1: Yeah, so we've all kind of wondered whether his upcoming Star Trek film or Star Trek project would be the 10th and final film for Quentin Tarantino, but that hasn't been confirmed and reports are all swirling and it's become less clear what his actual 10th film would be. But Tarantino has teased that it might actually be a genre that he's never fully explored before, and that would be horror. He's played with all sorts of genres in his past nine, if you're counting Kill Bill as two movies, ten films, uh, crime, westerns, revenge fantasy, drama, comedy, um, but never horror to a fuller extent. But he says that... um, he, if he comes up with a, quote, terrific horror film story, I will do that as my 10th movie. I love horror movies. I would love to do a horror film. But he actually mentions that he has explored horror somewhat accidentally. Um, The spawn Ranch sequence in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a sequence that very much uses that that visual language and that auditory language of horror films, the dread builds, the suspense builds. But this is actually something that Tarantino didn't realize until his editor pointed it out and he called it um texas chainsaw massacre with a budget so um he seems to maybe have gotten a taste for horror after uh having that one sequence be very horror inspired so perhaps he could uh, make an entire feature film uh, in that genre
2: i feel
0: like somewhere on a beach in, in some some city in America, Chris Evangelista's ears are perking up right now. Like the idea of Tarantino making a horror movie, I feel <laughs> this like is uh... a
1: signal. This is that signal. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, HT, like you've seen Once Upon a Time, you saw that Spawn Ranch sequence. Uh, did you think? I think we talked about this a little bit on our spoiler review of that movie. But what did you think about that sequence? And and are you excited about the idea of Tarantino maybe? pushing some other stuff to the side and, and sort of um, tackling a horror movie head on.
1: I really like that sequence. Um, I thought that it built the dread and the suspense so excellently. And um, it was something that was done really deftly because it basically explains the dangers of the Manson family cult without going into actual detail about it. Mm -hmm. And it's done so well. Um, So I'd be really interested to see what Tarantino does with the genre, especially if he does something that's less along the lines of what we uh, know of him in terms of his cartoonish gore and does something that's more um, dread-filled. And that would almost be a little bit subdued for him. Actually, up until this point, I'm kind of surprised that he hasn't touched on horror Yet it seems like a genre that is so suitable for him mm-hmm. Brad, what do you
0: think? Um, both about that spawn ranch sequence and about the idea of him sort of branching into this genre?
2: yeah i'm I'm all for it. Uh, Tarantino, even though he hasn't tapped into horror himself with maybe with the closest possibly being death proof, which isn't exactly a horror movie. Um, but you know he he does have uh, a fondness for grindhouse movies and uh, B horror movies and that kind of thing. he's very much a horror expert. Uh, he's, um, good friends with a lot of horror directors and he's got a sensibility for, and clearly he, his wide, vast, extensive knowledge of cinema, both popular and obscure would help him craft a movie that, would undoubtedly be something that not just horror fans would want to see but tarantino fans and uh movie fans in general would love to get a get a glimpse at. it's it would be great to see him tackle that genre
0: i wonder what you guys think if you have any theories about like what type of horror movie tarantino might make because brett you just mentioned you know, like he you know uh, i guess with the exception of maybe like somebody like uh, martin scorsese he's like Maybe the most knowledgeable person about film that, like, on this planet, maybe I don't know. I'm I'm sure there are some like uh, some other experts <laughs> that are, that maybe would give him a run for his money. But like, his tastes are so all over the place and eclectic and and wide ranging that I wonder if he would be interested in making something like a little bit more schlocky, or if he would try to. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's all complete speculation on our part. There's no way we can know. But, like, um, I don't know. I guess, do would you guys have a preference between, you know, something... I think of the work that he did on, on Death Proof where, uh, um, what's his name? Robert Rodriguez did, made Planet Terror that sat alongside that movie. And that was very much like a schlocky horror kind of project. Do you think he would try to elevate it? Like, try to, um, I don't know, make something more like... James Wan and The Conjuring, you know, like some something that uh has like a, I mean, you mentioned uh Texas Chainsaw with a budget, like a something that has like a, a a sheen to it, or do you think he would get down and dirty, or, um, I don't know, H G, do you have any preferences on what you'd like to see from him specifically?
1: I I don't know, it is all speculation at this point. Um, but I think I touched on this before. I almost wish would like to see him rain it back because we're so used to seeing and we so expect to see Tarantino go all-out schlock and violence so it would be interesting to see him play with horror in a way that we don't expect something that is more about atmosphere Mm -hmm. um, and suspense than anything
2: yeah i would almost like to see him do something along the lines of like what carpenter did with a movie like the thing or something like that Mm, yeah that would be awesome actually i was gonna say i think that maybe since we're so light on the news maybe we should touch on this breaking story that just popped up as we were talking on the podcast oh sure yeah uh so apparently the uh, Paramount and Hasbro are working on a new GI Joe spin-off movie. Um this is separate from the other spin-off movie Snake Eyes that they also have in development. Uh it's based on the GI Joe toy line. It's from writers Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec who have previously worked on the Terrible Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reboot as well as Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Um yeah, so apparently uh, it's going to uh, focus on an ensemble. And one of the characters that they'll be bringing into the movie will be uh, Chuckles, who is a character that has not yet been in the movies. Uh, it's, apparently it's a popular character. He debuted in 1987, both in the toy line and in Marvel Comics. Okay, uh, very
0: funny, Brad. All right, yeah. Okay, you're <laughs> trying to pull one over on us. I get it. I,
2: I, wish, I, could. I wish I was, but, but there is a character... Named Chuckles uh, from the GI Joe line, and his his expertise is uh, going undercover and infiltration. Um, and why is, again, why is again, he Chuckles? I don't know why his name. I mean, GI Joe is known for having a lot of weird character names. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's just a, a trait of the 1980s of having character. I mean, MacGyver is not really you know that cool of a name. Brad, um, you
0: shut your mouth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, so it's uh it's in the works and we'll there's no indication as to uh when it will happen the snake guys movie is apparently still on slate to come out in October of 2020 and i know that uh paramount has and has some hasbro movies slated uh for release they they had like an, a slot for an untitled paramount hasbro movie uh coming out sometime in the next couple years i forget when that is but uh yeah so i guess more gi joe on the way i still think that there's there was a huge missed opportunity for them to set up the set up have john cena be the original gi joe in bumblebee and work towards a transformers gi joe crossover yeah i mean that makes sense um ht do you have any
0: interest at all in more gi joe movies
1: not a lick I yeah. don't care at all.
0: I'm I'm finding I... it extremely difficult to care about this. Um Brad, even with the missed opportunity angle there, do you think that that there's anything left in this franchise? I know that Paramount as a studio is hard up for franchises, so it makes sense that they're developing stuff like this, but with the franchise with the Transformers franchise sort of um waning over the past few years, uh, I guess it, it, yeah, like I said, it, it sort of makes sense that they're putting more of their eggs in the G.I. Joe basket. Do you think that there's any
2: chance that these movies are going to be <laughs> salvageable? I don't know. It's, I think it all depends on who's directing and who, who they get involved with the cast, what the tone of it is. Um, I hated the first G.I. Joe movie, Rise of Cobra. Uh, Retaliation was much better. Dwayne Johnson helped improve it a little bit, um, even though it was, still wasn't great. Um, someone did kind of point out, uh, something on Twitter and I wish I could remember who it was but they said something along the lines of anybody who likes Hobbs and Shaw but doesn't like the first G.I. Joe movie needs to get the hell out of here because it's basically the same kind of action hmm. and, I, and I thought about it I was like you know I can't argue with that but there's something about Hobbs and Shaw that's much more appealing than that first G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe movie maybe it's, it's because Star Power. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's definitely Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham that helps um, but I think the biggest problem was this. That was in 2009. I think that the the visual effects for that kind of action was still kind of meh. Because I, I remember when Channing Tatum and uh, Marlon Wayans characters were like jumping through that sequence in the street where there was explosions and cars all around them that the characters looked kind of jiggly and too flexible and weird, and that mm-hmm. was a big a big part of it. And some people were like, well, that's exactly how it's like when you're playing with your G.I. Joes. I'm like, yeah, but it looks like shit in a movie. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. It's I, I think that there's a way to do G.I. Joe right. Uh, who knows how these movies are going going to turn out in the end, so we'll, we'll see. All right, well, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Where can we find
0: more of your work online? HT, let's start with you.
1: You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbui.
2: Brad? SlashFilm.com as well, at Ethan on Twitter, and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself. That's F-L-I-X on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. You can
0: find uh, me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all the stories that we talked about on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the episode show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, and or concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.